podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to The Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes and the new season is just about with us. The Champion County match is taking place in the Middle East, Middlesex against MCC in Dubai and all UK cricketers at all levels are considering the new season and contemplating what might happen. The question is, are you excited and optimistic about the future of the game in this country? Not just at the top level, but down to the grassroots as well. I'm Simon Mann and we'll speak to three clubs about the challenges they face to keep the game buoyant at the vital level of club cricket. The county game and the international game relies on the club game to be in a healthy state. The ECB are in the process of trying to draw thousands more into cricket through a new T20 competition at the top level and also through all-stars cricket for five to eight-year-olds. We'll discuss that in just a moment. Please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. A reminder that if you haven't already done so, subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket. We'll be doing this podcast every week, so therefore you can then get the programme automatically each week. You just click on the button where it says subscribe. Now, the other organisation that, that I work for, the Cricketer Magazine, done a big launch of the county season this month. The issue was out on Friday. We've done a, a special page on each county. And sort of launching the season, we also had a, a live event, one of several that we've been running. This was with Graham Gooch about a week ago at a small venue in the centre of London. And Gooch talked about his career. Of course, the interesting thing about Gooch is that he has scored more runs in cricket than anybody in history. So he has a lot of uh, authority to talk about all the kind of issues that have been going on. And when I say the most runs... More than Jack Hobbs. Did you know that? I didn't, actually, no. I mean, he... I probably should have done, but I didn't. He, he scored, if you combine his 44,000 in first-class cricket and test cricket with something like 22,000 in ODIs and, and domestic one-day cricket, the total is over 67,000, and Jack Hobbs made 65,000. So he is the most prolific batsman in the history of the game, Graham Gooch. But we didn't come here to talk about the number of runs he scored. Correct. We came here to talk about what he said. Well, that's what I mean, that it gives him authority to to make interesting comments and one of the most uh, interesting stories that came out of his discussion on on the stage was what happened between him and KP Kevin Peterson during that Ashes series of 2013 and because he was England's batting coach he was England's batting coach of course and and Peterson was out there and um just the the, the things that he said Gooch said about that tour unraveling really, really threw some insight into the problems that that occurred and why Peterson, in the end, was sacked. So here he is. You just need to listen carefully. It was recorded in a a big room in in, in a theatre in West London, and this is what Graham Gooch had to say. When it came to Australia, okay, um, I suggested to him that when Trot was incapacitated, whatever you want to call it, um, I thought we should go through we need someone to stand up to the Australians and take them to them a little bit more, you know. And he, you know, he said, and this is Kevin, I bat four. No, we need you to bat three. No, I bat four, that's it. Well, no, you bat for the team, don't you? You'll need someone to, you know, make a statement and whatever. And, you know, he had his own way of thinking about things. And I just think a great player plays to the situation, not to the occasion. And on that tour, I would say that the Australians 
down completely. You don't stretch Kevin Peterson. You actively engage him in chat. Michael Clark, in my opinion, played him to a T. Because what do you do with Kevin Peterson when he comes into bat? Okay, first of all, bowl full and straight. If, if you can, you've got a chance of knocking him over. You might play a cross one. Go and get that. So what do we do then? We make overt fielding changes in front of his eyes. Now Kevin would think, I think that's a challenge, you know. And sometimes he, and he took the ball all the time, I would say. Great players don't get caught mid-wicket, caught mid square leg, caught mid-on. I'll let him have it on the back of me. Alistair Cook was standing sitting next to me, I don't even know this, and Andy Flower. And I just, I let him have it about him. Because he got caught a long on with the man back. And he, you know, Kevin, to be fair, Kevin, he, you know, he's a modern day thinking player. So he's thinking, I'm going to go over his head. That's exactly how he's thinking. We're trying to save the game. We are trying, we're fighting for our lives. We are getting annihilated. He holds out a long on. And, and exactly the circumstance I said, put the man back a long on, challenge him, try to go over his head, hold out. And I just lost it. And I just said, not lost it, I just. Well, that was Graham Gooch speaking last week. What did you make of that, Sam? You, you were the host. Mm. A lot of people, particularly Kevin Peterson fans, have been wondering uh, for a long time what is the real reason why... England sacked him, why England just had had enough of him. And we've never found a smoking gun, have we, really? Not at all. And nobody's ever really said what is the the big issue. And I think, actually, that Gooch there got as close to it as anyone has by the kind of persuasion that they put on him, the faith they invested in Peterson on that tour when it started to go wrong after the first test. And his completely stubborn refusal to play ball in in many ways just some of which were alluded to by Gooch there the fact that he wouldn't bat at number three and in in the end Joe Root had to bat at number three in the subsequent test matches and actually suffered a a loss of form and was dropped at at the end of that tour Uh, and then not really applying himself to the job in hand being more concerned about dominating the bowling and kind of outwitting Michael Clark's fielding settings than trying to play for the team. And in the end, I just think that they that there was a tipping point with, with Peterson, and this was it, in a way, was that where was it that his batting became more selfish and less team-orientated? And I think that tour was it. And in the end, with all the other things, like the book coming out and... The, the, the other things that he'd done, it just became too much to deal with and too much to handle. Yeah, I can still remember that, well, that incident that caused the, the row with, with Graham Gooch, you know, the court at long on in the Perth Test match. I can see it now, mm. coming down towards our commentary box and the catch being taken just beneath us, in, into the wind at the Wacker, and obviously Graham Gooch had, had something to say about that. Did you, I, could, I couldn't help myself when I saw you, uh, you know, tweet the, the, the audio there, uh, the things that Graham Gooch was saying. I couldn't help but just have a quick look at Kevin Peterson's Twitter account just to see whether he, he'd responded, and, of course, he had. He said, um, still talking about me, question mark, seriously, question mark, 
exclamation mark. Relax, Scooch. You were a wonderful modern-day coach. And I think there was just a bit, uh, you know, hint of sarcasm in there. A few, what do they call them, emojis. Not necessarily that flattering. And another tweet as well, a, a reply to someone who'd tweeted him, um, who says about Gooch, or somebody who was bitter because a South African had just gone past his England run-scoring record, exclamation mark. You realise that accessing Kevin Peterson's Twitters is, is an addiction you need to see a doctor about? <laughs> have, you, have you thought about that? No, I, I just couldn't... I, well, I couldn't resist it. If it was an addiction, I'd, I'll, I'll ha- hold my hand up, but I couldn't resist having a quick look just to see what his reaction was going to be. And inevitably, it was quite defensive. And I think that's the other problem, in a way, in, in that when he was accused of things, rather than owning up to his own flaws... He, he went on the defensive and he often went on the attack and it's quite hard to deal with people like that. It happened a long time ago now and, uh, I mean, there is the feeling that England, of course, they, they've moved on, the, the, the team has moved on, everyone. In fact, most people have moved on since then. Yeah. Uh, and Graham Gooch moved on after that tour. The coach moved on, Andy Flatt. I mean, there's, there's a temptation there to think that, that, that Kevin Peterson was the, the one person who went after that tour. In fact, there was quite a big clear and several players, lots of players, didn't play for England again after that tour. A lot of the backroom staff were removed. But, I mean, are we... Are we raking over old coals here is it, does, the, does the cricketer magazine need to have a slap on its wrist for this uh, I think it's always a, I, I suppose what people want is answers yeah, and yeah. we've never really had answers yeah. and I just felt with this particular story that it did provide the kind of uh, evidence that everyone's looking for obviously it's not enough on its own but to me it was quite illuminating and I mean Peterson's still in the news because of course he's coming back to play for Surrey this summer so and I think that's great by the way I, I think he's a fantastic player who will draw crowds and and hopefully will play well you know I'd go and watch him mm. I mean I can sense there, there are probably a lot of people listening to this who say oh come on it's time to it's time to move on yeah. from, from yeah. Kevin Peterson but I also take your point it's nice to fill in the missing pieces or some of the missing pieces anyway from the past because there weren't that many answers at the time and perhaps um, Graham Gooch has provided uh, one or two more answers. And I do trust him, Gooch. You know, I, I, he hasn't got an agenda at all. He's a very honest bloke. And, uh, you know, he hasn't got anything to gain by, by saying any of that stuff. Uh, so I, I think he just wanted to, to get it out, get it off his chest and perhaps help people understand what happened. OK, let's move on, Simon. That's the, the past. Let's talk about the, the present and the future. The new... 2020 league, which can't actually come into operation because of broadcasting contracts until 2020, so there's going to be a long lead-up to this, but it, it looks as if it's going to happen. The counties have, have been persuaded. Um, inevitable, good for the game, essential for the game? I think it's essential for the game. Uh, I think that uh, participation and general interest in cricket is been on the decline for probably five years now. There was a surge after the 2005 Ashes, but that surge has now peaked and you know it's, the curve is now on the, on the way down. And something needs to be done to redress this problem. The major problem is that when you talk to kids or watch kids, they don't take cricket very seriously. Only 2% of the kids under 10 actually saw cricket as their favourite sport. And if you go to teenagers, cricket was 11th in their order of preferences with things like eSports, that's computer games, being much higher up the list than, than cricket. So cricket 
clearly has to do something. It can't just keep relying on the faithful older generation to keep supporting it. We need new blood to play and watch the game. And so I feel absolutely right. Something radical needs to be done. Mm. And the fascinating thing about this, it seems to me, is the ECB are, are trying to reinvigorate the game by potentially alienating swathes of people who keep the game going. When you say alienating, well, though... Well, because I think that I have a sense that there's opposition hmm. to this out there, and it's, it's opposition from some counties well, who, I, actually, who actually have been, you know, for whatever reason, some, perhaps some of it's financial, in fact, a lot yeah. of it financial, being yeah. persuaded to, to fall into line. There are county members who seem not that happy with it, because it'll, you know, it'll say sorry, detract... But, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't feel that any county has any justification in being unhappy about it for the simple reason that the county game, this is a fact, is £197 million in debt. If you add all the money that different counties have had to borrow to redevelop their grounds, etc., it comes to almost £200 million. One county recently released their finances and they made a profit of £1,000 in the season of 2016. Well, that's after... Two million pounds is given to them by the ECB. Every county gets round about that sort of money, just as a sort of handout. And so, I'm sorry, but counties, without that money, most of them will be bankrupt by now. So they have to find a new way of, of, of making themselves solvent. And some one or two counties are doing well. A county like Worcester are finding that they can use their ground for conferences and uh, other sorts of business environment entertainment and so on which which can make the money in you know making use of a ground which is dormant for most of the year probably 50 to 60 days of the year is cricket and the rest of the time it's available to do other things and some counties have been clever at that but still they're all relying on the two million pounds from the ecb something needs to be done to create more income into the game to allow counties to survive and this new tournament will bring more money into the game to allow county cricketers and counties to survive a little bit longer. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a feeling... I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I think there's a feeling that the people out there who are already supporting the county game, and also the NatWest Blast as well, you know, the T20 Blast, and ticket sales are up 35%. They're almost saying, well, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. You know, more and more people are coming along to the T20 Blast because they've already bought tickets in advance. As I said, the ticket sales are already up, but people are saying, no, that's not that's not good enough. We need a... Another competition, which is going to perhaps, well, certainly is going to shove T20 Blast to the sidelines. People say, well, well, hold on a second. We, we're, in a way, keeping the game of cricket going at the moment by, by paying our money at the gate. But they're almost just saying, actually, no, this isn't good enough. This, our money's not good enough. We need, we need more and different money out there. Well, we do. That, that's absolutely right. And so it's not alienating the people because they're still going to get their cricket that they want to watch. Okay, so it's going to be, but it's going to be. Uh, what we, substandard, isn't I it? I don't know that it is, really. Not necessarily. I, I, I mean, obviously, the, the, you know, people like these cold pack players that say, Hampshire team have brought in, they're going to still be playing for their, their county side, uh, even if the, 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 the new T20 tournament is going on. It'll be a great opportunity for younger players to, to, to come through and play if they're not selected in the, the new T20 tournament. It's up to each county to try and bring through more young players so that they can fill those spaces when some of their leading players are off. 
playing in this new tournament for a bit. And I, I just think that I think that the, the two can coexist. And the most important thing is we need a new audience. We cannot just survive as a an entity on the existing eighty thousand members of county teams plus you know the, the the people who come to NatWest Blast games. You look at in total. The one million people watched the NatWest Blast last year in, what, 90-odd games. So that's an average of less than 10,000 an actual game. Whereas, you know, a Manchester United, a leading premiership football team, will get 50,000, 60,000 for one game. And I think we've got to try and get bigger stadiums, use maybe the Olympic Stadium, maybe Wembley, you know, others that can accommodate much bigger crowds because we need more people to watch the game. Do you think that's going to happen? Is, is, it, yes. is there an element of is an element of this has got to work or bust? There's another word I could use there in front of bust, but do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I think it's I think it's got to work in in um, coherence with a, a bigger plan. And why I like what the ECB are doing is they're not just saying right here's a new tournament, uh, top level, eight teams, new names, bring in some world class players, concentrate the t- tournament in five weeks when people can go in the in the middle of summer. But they're also looking at the, the bottom level of the game as well, the youth level of the game, and trying to find ways of getting more people playing so that it's all joined up together. Yeah. And that's what I mean by the, the All-Stars Cricket, which is their new campaign for five- to eight-year-olds. Which, which feels like it has to be a good thing, doesn't it? To get, get people involved at a young age, get them holding a ball, yeah. holding a bat, and, and, get them enthused and, about the and, game. And, you know, the thing is, bottom line, we have got a great product in this country. The, the, the players that England are turning out at the moment, especially in one-day cricket, are phenomenal. Ben Stokes, Joe Root... Joss Butler, Johnny Bairstow, Moen Alley. But if you walk down Chris your road, Rhodes, people wouldn't know who they, they are. They wouldn't know who they are. Absolutely right. So these guys are brilliant cricketers that deserve a bigger stage to play on. But we want people to see them. And the, the only way, I think, of, of getting them visible is firstly creating a new tournament, secondly getting some terrestrial TV coverage of that, and thirdly wooing the younger age groups with how... Great cricket is as a sport, and this is what All Stars Cricket is, is hoping to do by not perhaps coaching kids in, a, in an old fashioned traditional kind of way, but actually making the game seem really fun, uh, very dynamic, energetic. Also, persuading the parents who might otherwise take their kids to football or to taekwondo or something kind of completely different from cricket persuading them that it's very good for their kids to play this sport because it taxes nine of the ten motor skills, chief motor skills. The only one that it doesn't really tax from a junior's point of view is is kicking, um, unless you want to kick your, your friend after he dropped a catch off you, I suppose. And uh, it, it, it's there, are just... new, there are new laws being brought in for that. You could be sent oh, off from cricket in red, the red car. <laughs> um, but, but, but also um, doing things imaginatively like... Uh, one of the things that one of the skills that everyone always struggles with in cricket is is, is bowling to start with. Most kids chuck, don't they? They bend yeah. their arm and throw. And how do you teach kids to get the idea of bowling rather than chucking? Well, they brought in a, a larger ball to try and help kids haven't, who haven't played cricket before to learn the art of bowling. Because a, a larger ball, like a, nearly the size of a football, you can't chuck that. You can't bend your arm. You have to sling it with a with a straight arm, like a goalkeeper bowling out a a pass up up the up the field, and uh, so they, they brought in sort of imaginative stuff like that with lots of energy, lots of different drills and games, which I hope will 
resurrect and rejuvenate the interest in cricket at that kind of junior level. Mm. And it's the clubs in our country who have been asked to, to help out with this. They are the ones who are going to have to uh, make this work. Mm. Uh, you, you pay your fee, you go along to your club and you, you get a chance to, to play. So what, what we've been doing uh, this week is, is trying to sort of gauge the, gauge the temperature out there, don't we, to see how, how well uh, the club cricket scene is, is, is thriving or, or dying. Or surviving out there, We've, I've spoken to um, Bernie Chapman, who's the chairman of North London Cricket Club, a, a club I know quite well. And Simon, you've been speaking to John Reed, the chairman of, of Acton Cricket Club, a club you know well. And, and Arthur Lamb as well, secretary of, of Whitehaven, right up there in in the northwest. And and these are some of their comments uh, about the challenges facing club cricket. I mean, finding the cash, getting teams out, attracting players, and keeping hold of them, and offering the them the type of cricket that they want. So I started by asking about Bernie Chapman, who's the chairman of North London Cricket Club. Does he feel that in his area, cr- club cricket is dying, surviving or thriving? I would say it has to be just about surviving. It's, 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 it's certainly not dying, not, certainly not on a Saturday afternoon. Um, it's not thriving in the sense that there's very little money inside uh, clubs that we're all struggling for a, a quite small pool of money um, and we have to be quite inventive about how we keep that structural side of, of club cricket together. What sort of things do you have to do? Well I mean it used to be, a, but clubs used to run almost exclusively on their bars and a quiz night or something like that. Now um, we have to look for funding, we have to uh, have more formal events, we hire out our, our club for things like birthday parties and sometimes even weddings. Um, uh, we have corporate events, which we, we never used to have before. So we're, you know, we're, we're chasing the dollar most of the time, trying to keep a, you know, a small club going. Uh, where you know, the only income used to be the bar, and there has to be one or two other things as well. When I was playing um, senior cricket... Uh, there was always the opportunity to have a drink after the game, to socialise, to get to know people. Um, but a combination of things, I think it would particularly drink drive laws, almost certainly. Um, but also just that people now have got more things to do after they finish playing cricket. So rather than spend uh, you know, an evening in a smoky old bar, uh, they're be going to be clubbing in town or they're going to be going out uh, in a more sort of uh, uh, formal way. I mean, you know, I, I, I see now, you see clubs visiting and, and we do the same ourselves, we visit other clubs that sometimes don't even stop and have a drink, some of them don't even stop and have a shower, they'll just get straight in the car and and go back home. We have a very good junior setup. We run three age group teams at under-11s, under-13s, under-15s and also for the last couple of years we've entered in the ECB under-19s club competition. So that's helped to keep players within the club, giving us players for the first, seconds and thirds on the weekend. The state of the game around here, there are problems. Teams do struggle putting two teams, three teams out on a Saturday there's, a decline, there's been a decline in the number of junior teams in that quite often, even ourselves, we put two junior teams at some age groups, which was commonplace five, six years ago, which isn't the case now, unfortunately. Everyone already really has one. But the positives is there's very few conceded fixtures around here. 
I'm also involved with the league as league website administrator. So we don't have many problems with conceded fixtures or anything like that. There are other clubs who years ago had probably the most successful junior section round here now have nothing at all, which is very sad. And as a consequence, they are now standing strong to put out two teams on a Saturday. Since 2010, we've not been running a Colts team at 15, 16, 17s, 19s. Just can't get the numbers. The, you know, the people in the area where we live, education is so important. Lots of the kids are at private schools. Lots are away off at boarding schools and they just don't get time to play Colts cricket. And if we can't keep them as Colts, by the time they go off to university, they're gone and we've lost them. So we're not feeding in from the bottom. A fourth team really should be your kids coming through. And last year, our fourth team was Dad's Army. Um, and that's, that's pretty much what we're doing here at the moment. We're getting the numbers. We can get enough members in. Um, but we're not bringing the good kids through. So if you can't bring the good kids through, you can't strengthen the first team. So the next step has obviously been from the ECB to try and redress the problem by bringing in this all-stars cricket and you're embracing that, do you think that's going to have the effect that, that it's hoped to have, bringing more young people into the game, helping clubs eventually, or does there need to be a, another step? I think there needs to be another step. I think in, initially, participation and five to eight-year-olds is great. It's a great idea. The, the theory behind everything, I think it will really work. It's difficult for clubs because I don't think financially they're going to benefit from it early on. But you've got to, still got to find the volunteers and the workforce to do that. And it's, for a club like us, it's going to be hard. I mean, ECB aren't filling our coffers here, you know. So um, it will be hard to get the volunteers because they're tough enough to get anyway. But what we really need, we need something around the, you know, the 13 to... 18-year-olds in cricket, something that's going to interest them, that's going to get them away from football, basketball... Devices. Um, devices, yes, absolutely, and, and, and get them out in the field. And, and if there was something magic that could happen overnight, that would be great. But, you know, these 5 to eight starting, maybe they'll know that cricket's their sport and we'll get them involved and, and we'll reap the benefits in 10 years' time. Well, there you are. That's uh, Bernie Chapman, chairman of North London Cricket Club, Arthur Lamb, secretary of Whitehaven Cricket Club, and John Reeve, the last voice you heard there, chairman of Acton Cricket Club. So, you know, it's about holding on to those players in that sort of really important or teenage years, the players that are going to be the, the, the lifeblood of the club in the future, and I suppose eventually filter through to, to county and, and in, international level and it, it, it is about having the game out there attractive enough for them to want to to play and to be engaged with the game and we sort of, we come back to don't we I suppose this new T20 league the idea of just, in, just drawing people in putting it on terrestrial television letting people see the game seeing the great products seeing these wonderful players that are out there at the moment they're not really being seen I, I think the players themselves want it as well I, I think they're ready for uh, something new and, and unfortunately, the, the, the sad fact is that broadcasters, who are very much the oxygen of, of a sport, as soon as you mention the word county for a future tournament, their eyes glaze over. Because to them, to the, you know, there's some movers and shakers of the modern world, county, the name is a sort of anachronism. And it sort of suggests old fashioned and, and, and not very dynamic, which is why I think they want to go with new names for the tournament 
which don't have any county affiliation at all. Obviously, they'll use the main grounds, but they won't use the county names. And in a way, that's good because no county will feel cheated or jealous that somebody else in Yorkshire is getting their name or Surrey's getting their name or Kent isn't. And uh, that way, I think we can all kind of club together and say and embrace it as a new idea, which it might seem a tough kind of initiative. It might seem as if people are being alienated. But, uh, you know, I I think it's a little bit like um, my parallel is with the London Underground, which has been there for about 1880, and it's been patched up and rejigged and, you know, the odd new line added and so on. But it's... And it kind of rumbles along, and it just about holds together okay. And it does work. But, the, you know, there are always complaints about it and, you know, some lines not working or suspended at the weekend or stuff. The crossrail idea is an idea that's kind of powering through the middle... And something completely different, something completely new, which hopefully will attract completely new passengers and take some pressure off the existing uh, infrastructure. And I sort of see the new T20 tournament as being a bit like that. Yeah. And the other thing about it as well, which is which is obvious, is it's not as if the ECB have just thought up this idea and just thought, oh, that's a good idea, we'll implement it. They have done lots of marketing, haven't they? They've gone out and they've, they've got a PR company or whatever, to, a marketing company, to go out and ask people, ask hundreds and hundreds of people what sort of tournament they would like, you know, what they are looking for. And they did this before T20 came in as well, didn't they, back in, you know, 10, years, 10 whatever yeah. it was. yeah. 10 years ago, and there were sceptical people then, thinking this, this isn't going to work. Yeah. But actually, they'd done their marketing, and it, and it did work, because it, it was what people wanted. So yeah. they, it's clear that they've got some research which says, look, if we could do this, it could well work. And, and I do think, you know, I've, I've spent the last sort of two or three weeks speaking at various club dinners, and I like talking to, to club members and players to kind of get the, the zeitgeist, you know, the vibe. Yeah. And there's no doubt that there is... There is this massive underbelly of really, really keen cricketers in this country, many of them volunteers in umpiring and scoring and running clubs, which is an incredibly hard job to do. It's a full-time job running a cricket yeah. club, really, and they don't get anything for it apart from a bit well, of pride. Well, all the people we've heard today are all you know, give so much yeah, of their lives to, exactly. to keeping the game going. They do, and they're, they're, they're such good people. And these clubs are just about... Your question to, to the, the guy in North London Bernie was just perfect... You know that are you thriving or are you just about surviving? Well, they are just—they're all just about surviving these clubs, aren't they? And they're just call, crying out for a bit of help. And I think the the two ends of the spectrum—the new T Twenty tournament at one end of the game and the All Stars cricket at the other end—will just hopefully help clubs to provide more of what they're looking to do and and, and actually enjoy cricket more rather than it being a, a bit of a burden to them. Of course, it doesn't start until, or it won't start until. 2020. So there's that feeling, that sort of time lag. But having said that, before then, there's a Champions Trophy, there's an Ashes, there's a World Cup to sustain mm. the game, and clearly the ECB are hoping that England do well in all of those competitions yeah. and yeah. and series. Uh, so there is that sort of groundswell of support by the time we get to 2020. What they don't want is England getting knocked out in the first round of the of the uh, Champions Trophy, yeah, well, not, I... not winning the World Cup or not doing very well in it, and they're losing the Ashes at home. But there we go. <laughs> I, I think that, that, that signs are good with England. Yeah. I think they're going to pr- pr- provide excellent cricket, where even if they don't win everything, I think they're going to be entertaining. Yeah. And how can you not be with the players of the calibre of Joe Root, Ben Stokes? By the way, the uh, the 
Whitehaven dinner I was uh, at actually is Ben Stokes' country. It's just down the road from his old club, Cockermouth, where he first batted the ball over the ropes. And, you know, people just love the game so much. They're almost surviving, you know, in spite of the fact that, that England are not on terrestrial TV and cricket is not number one game in, in the country. They're still going, though. They're still prospering and still loving the game, which is good to see. I think it's time to finish, Simon. We're going to finish with our, our highlight low light. I'm going to do the highlight this week. Uh, James Taylor took a couple of stunning short leg catches in Johannesburg a year or so ago, sadly no longer playing the game. This week there was a, a brilliant short leg catch by Tom Latham in the Test match in Hamilton to dismiss Faf Duplessis. And it's one of those things where he moved at short leg to anticipate the shot that was going to be played by Duplessis. He went away to his right and then stretched away to his right and took the catch. It's one of those where you're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to move now, aren't you, to anticipate the batsman shot. Brilliant piece of short leg fielding. That's my highlight of the week. What's That's a good one. Well, do you know, I, 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 I'm so happy this week. I can't think of a, of a low light. Um, the sun's out. County season's about to start. My ex-county, Middlesex county champions are playing the champion county match in Abu Dhabi. And the Aussies are about to lose to India and lose the series. So I haven't got a low line. I'm completely up for anything. I'll let you get away with that. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Podcast Network.